listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good evening, Connection Church. Come on, there we go. Is everybody all right? Seems brighter than this morning. Wow, maybe the rain in my eyes glowing a little bit. Sure, it's great to be back with you this evening. Hope everybody has had a great, great Sunday. Uh, great day for the beach. Good day to be outside grilling, all that kind of stuff, right? Or if you're a duck, it would have been a good day, right? So we're thankful for the rain, though. Thankful that God blesses us with that. I want to tell you about one important thing. One of the greatest things we do here at Connection Church, and the reason we're able to do it, is because of our connectors. Those of uh, us and, and you who wear blue shirts and orange shirts and um, bright yellow shirts in the parking lot, especially on days like this, you earn every bit of all that pay that we give you, right, to work that parking lot in the rain. We're going to double it today, I promise you, you'll get an umbrella uh, to help. So, but we really appreciate what you do. If it was just our staff doing all the things that our connectors do, we would never be able to reach the amount of people that we reach and make you feel welcome and do all the things that we do throughout the week. So we want to show appreciation to our connectors. And in a little over a week, October the 12th, we're having a connector appreciation dinner. I'm announcing this just just in case you did not receive a postcard or an information, any information about this is on October the 12th. If you do not know about it and you are a current connector, um, please see somebody in a blue shirt, see somebody, um, call Bo, call Olivia, whoever's in your area um, can give you information about that and what time to be here. But we really want to show you our appreciation to you. It's going to be an awesome evening, a lot of fun. Um, And now we'll jump right into this. So we're finishing up Tried and True, um, great series that we've been in. And we've been in the book of John for a good while now with a couple different series. And, you know, last week we were in that, in that uh, chapter where Jesus is crucified and he's raised from the dead. And in chapter 21, it's a really, just an amazing chapter when Jesus appears to his disciples and others after he has been raised from the dead. And what this does, what this chapter does for me, and as we were looking at this chapter, it, it really brings back memories. And Jesus kind of prods some of his disciples about memories, and we're going to talk about one specific one. And you may have memories about different things. If you see something, it reminds you of something. If you hear something, it reminds you of something. So we have all these memories in our, in our minds, and when I put on one of these, it gives me some really, really cool memories. And we found these pictures of this stud that was playing baseball in high school, and I thought I'd, we'd just show those. I don't know who it is. When I smell a glove, it brings back some really good memories. But then there's another memory that comes to mind for me, and it's uh, when I got injured playing baseball and could no longer play in college. And it was everything that I wanted to do. I had no other plans other than playing ball and, and tore up a knee and just was not able to, to play at the level that I was playing at. Not that it was the greatest level. It was just a level above high school. So... For a long time, I didn't watch baseball. I would, didn't want to hear about it, didn't want to see it, wouldn't even look at it on TV. Just had this bad memory about it. So we have good memories and we have bad memories. We have those positive things, we have those negative things. All of us have those. 
And what we see here in John chapter 21, uh, beginning in verse 15, where we're going to look in just a minute, is Peter is being reminded of something, something that he did um, days earlier that were really, really devastating to him, something that he never figured he would do. So look with me in John chapter 15, John chapter 21. We're going to read verse 15, and we're also going to look in the book of Luke chapter 22. So if you want to kind of stick a finger there, or if you're using the Sky Bible, you can look on with us up here, and, um, or you're using whatever tablet, device. It may just be like just projected in front of you one day. I don't know. Well, it kind of is, but like right in front of you, that'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Tough to drive. Anyway, John chapter, uh, John chapter 21, beginning with verse 15. Let's read that. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to, to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Let's pray together. God, you're a mighty God. You sent your son here on this earth to walk among us, to become one of us. You sacrificed him on a cross. He died a gruesome death, and then you raised him on the third day. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for saving us by giving us your son. And God, right now as we enter into this time and as we've already worshiped you through singing and through prayer, we pray, God, that this spoken word will be penetrating to our hearts. God, this this day, this evening, right now, break us where we need to be broken. Plunder around in our souls and our spirits. Show us things that we need to see, Lord. We thank you and we love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So Simon Peter is the president of... He is the president of the Jesus fan club, all right? Now, if Jesus were a football team, Peter would be the one naked from the waist up, painted, right? Fish tattooed on his cheek, hair doing whatever, foam cross finger up in the air, Jesus saves on it, right? Maybe a big old poster, He's the guy that the cameraman is always looking for, right? Got to get a shot of this guy. Where is this guy? He's the crazy one in the stands. He is so fanatical about who Jesus is. He is always cheering him on. And I've seen some of you at these events, football games, right? You're thinking, which one? When did you see me at, right? We are all fanatics about certain things. I know that from time to time I can be just sitting on my sofa, catch a football game, I'm watching it, could care less about who wins. And all of a sudden I find myself getting anxious. Oh man, oh, oh God, you dropped it. And getting fired up about a team I could care less about. Probably don't even know where they're from, you know, some obscure college somewhere. And I'm watching, I get just crunk about it. And some of you do that too. And we get excited about Georgia Southern football. We get excited about other teams that you may like or not like. And, and we won't go into all that because some of you are still in, really upset. And, and that's okay, but we can work through that as well. 
I'm a therapist during the week, so if you need to see somebody about your team losing, we can, we can do that. You need to disconnect from that a little bit. So Peter is this guy. He is the guy who is just on fire for Jesus. Jesus has been on a winning streak, you see. Peter is a proud to be a fan, and he's been at all of these close games. You may recall a couple of these, like the one that ended in sudden death overtime, Lazarus, who experienced a sudden death, and overtime is when Jesus waited four days to come help him out, right? So he finally gets there, and panic strikes the crowd, seemed like the terror of death had won, but Jesus comes through in the clutch, he digs deep, and he defeats death and raises Lazarus from the dead. But overall, Jesus had a pretty successful season. No one doubted the Messiah ruled when he overcame natural law, multiplying two fish and five loaves to feed 5,000 people. That was a pretty good gig, right? Peter was there for every event, front row seat, painted up, cheering him on. Time after time, Jesus met the best and most intimidating the world had to offer. Sickness, leprosy blindness, and most times, Jesus never even broke a sweat. The most talked about matches usually pitted Jesus against the, the team of another, uh, another one of the religious leaders. These were high-scoring competitors, dominated the league until Jesus comes on the scene. And whenever people would talk about these upsets, Peter was proud to say, I was there. I watched every bit of it happen. Peter sold half the fishing business. He hocked his boat, traded his nets in, so he'd be free to follow Jesus. He was going to be at every event, home and away games. He was never going to miss anything Jesus did. But Jesus knows something about Peter. If you'll look with me in Luke 22, Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Because you see, Peter is a Fairweather fan. He's a Fairweather fan. Peter is a palm branch waver shouting Hosanna in the streets of Jerusalem. Jesus is here moving into the playoffs and he knows his record is about to be stained. So listen to the apprehension in his tone as he says to his disciples just a few verses down in verse 35. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. He's telling them, you need to be prepared for what's about to happen. Very soon, there's the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is arrested. He's standing before the Sanhedrin. He's accused of treachery, accused of threatening to destroy the temple of Jerusalem. And when Jesus is no longer the favorite, when Jesus becomes the laughing stock, the butt of the jokes, the spit on, the despised, his lack of Defense surprises his opponents. His offense seems to be shut down altogether. They seem to run right over him, scoring again, again, and again in that arena of public opinion. Where is Jesus' number one fan now? Peter, where are you? 
hey, aren't you one of Jesus' fans? No, what are you talking about? Not me. I'm sure I saw you in the stands. I I saw you on the sidelines. You were in the locker room with Jesus. You came out of the locker room with, no, 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 you are nuts. I was not there. What? But that on your cheek, there's, there's still some, some paint on your cheek. There's the traces of Jesus' colors in your hair. You are a fan. You're driving that van with the Galilean tags on it and, the, and the, those little wavy flag things on the side. You are a fan. No, 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 you're crazy. That loser, who wants to be identified with him? May lightning strike me if I ever followed Jesus. I'd rather be rolled around in tuna scent and trapped in a room full of cats than follow Jesus. Always have to have a cat joke. And I'd be one too. I'd be a loser too if I followed him. He was belligerent. Peter was angry. Some translations talk about him using just foul language the third time that he was asked, the third time he denied Jesus. In Luke 22, verse 60, just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Jesus comes back to win the championship. He defeats death. We know how the season actually ends. He defeats death and hell in an earth-shaking victory that stuns the entire world. But Peter is not seen in the locker room or on the sideline, or in the stands. We can't see the change in Peter or know fully what was said here or or how deeply this was. You see, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me above all things? Do you love me with passion beyond reason, with all your heart? The Greek word here is agapeo. It means infatuation. Now, wait a minute, Joey, you say. We've heard of agape love. That's the the word for love used by the New Testament church. That's the word used to describe Christians and the way we're supposed to love each other. That can't be right. Infatuation? You see, agape was a very general word in the Greek. It's elusive. it's, It's hard to put a strict definition to it. And That's the irony because that is exactly the kind of love it's meant to describe, one that can't be described. And it's sort of the same infatuation and and unexplainable thing like 80,000 teenage girls going absolutely nuts at a One Direction concert. 80,000 girls and me, the father of one of the 80,000 girls, because I did go and it was It blew my mind. I've never experienced anything like this before. I've been to Allman Brothers concerts, but by the time you leave there, you're so high, you can't hardly take it, and you're not even smoking weed. It's just everywhere. I've never experienced anything like that before a couple times, but not the weed part. It's just everywhere. But it's not wild like this 1D thing that's going on. I don't know why I just told you all that. It was terrible. Um, (laughs) But this One Direction thing, I'm sitting there, my daughter and a friend of hers, this is what she did for her 16th birthday. And they would just like show them on the big screen, like my face comes up there and all of you just go, bah! and lose it. 
This girl next to me and during one song, she wept. She literally wept during a song. I, I, I thought that like her leg was caught in the seat or something. I didn't know, why are you crying? I didn't know if I should hold her or awkwardly look at her. I didn't know what to do. But she wept during a song. I mean, these people were infatuated with these kids. It's also the same infatuation, and this is a, a crazy thing to think about, but you'll understand. It's like 50 people dead in a home where they've all committed ritualistic suicide because they followed some egomaniac with a great charisma. It's the same type of infatuation. It cannot be explained. We logically can't look at it and go, oh, I know why they followed him. I, I know why they committed suicide. It cannot be explained. It's the young girl professing her never-ending love for a guy who she just met standing at the locker next to hers. It cannot be explained. It's used to describe fanatical affection without cause or reason. And the early church used it because they could find no other word to describe how Christians were so devoted, so committed, and so sacrificing for some other person that they may have never met or just met just because of the name of Jesus. The love of Christ, the love that is like Christ makes no earthly sense. It will enable you to love the unlovable like Mother Teresa holding someone who has leprosy, singing them to sleep in their despair, cleaning them up using your own hands, it empowers us to know heartache for those we don't even know who have faced and have gone through a school shooting thousands of miles away. Or the nameless that are affected and will be affected by Connection Church. It fills us full of love for anyone and everyone who truly calls Jesus Lord of their life and makes us weep for those who have not been introduced to the saving grace of Christ. It's a nonsensical love, a love that crosses racial and ethnic lines. A love that knows no color, no gender, no economic scale, no barriers at all. A flamboyant, altruistic love that defies explanation even by those who have it and know it and only answer with one whisper word, Jesus. Jesus. Agape. Infatuated devotion without explanation. This is the word Jesus uses to ask Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And he begins to point out the other disciples and he says, this one was at Golgotha with me, Peter. That one went to pray. The rest went to hide, but you denied me, Peter. No one else did that. Do you, do you love me more than these? And Peter answers, yes, Lord. You know I'm fond of you. But Jesus asks again, Peter, are you sold out, completely devoted, senselessly filled with passion and excitement for who I am and what I do and where I've been and where I'm going? Are you completely sold out? Where is the zeal, Peter? Where is the guy who is in the stands all painted up and celebrating all the things that were happening? Where is that guy, Peter? Where did he go? Where's the, fans, the fan I once knew? Do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, you know, I'm your friend. Now, this is not a cop-out. There's no sadness in this, in this passage at all. On the contrary, the heart of Jesus is leaping and singing. 
Peter has matured in his faith. You see what we're seeing here. What actually unfolds in scripture before our eyes is the restoration of Peter. The restoration that many of us need to feel and we need to experience because we've done something, something that we think is unforgivable. Jesus denied Peter, not one time, not two times, but three times. That's pretty emphatic. He said, I don't know him. Never seen him before. I am not one of his disciples. He denied him three times. And Jesus is right here. And we're watching his restoration. How awesome is that? And that restoration is there for me and it's for you each and every day because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Peter is the example of all of us who got caught up and who get caught up in the summer camp in the weekend retreat, and we have these holy, holy mountaintop experiences. And we get saved 20 times as a teenager. And we get saved that one time at the the revival. And if it lasts for more than a week, we may get saved again. He is the example of that. It's easy to be a follower of Jesus when the crowd of thousands chants, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's easy to sit in this room when other people are raising their hands and worshiping. It's easy to do that. But what about when you're around your lunch table, teenagers? What about when some of you are at work or in your classrooms or in your homes? What about those times? Because that's the area I struggle with because people know who I am and what I do. And it just feels like a lot of times I get put in these situations where I either want to react by punching somebody in the face because they've taken God's name in vain or I respond with Jesus who? Jesus who? Or I don't respond at all. Because it's easier to say, Jesus who, than it is to respond the way Jesus wants us to. Are you ready for a deeper faith, Jesus says? Are you ready to love me with more than your heart? Love me with your mind. Love me with all your sensibilities. Love me because you know me. Not just the things I've done, but the person I am. Then Jesus asked Peter a third time. But this time he says, Peter, are you fond of me? Are you a devoted friend to me? Do you love me like a brother? When the wave of passion is pulled back by the low tide of reality, only a few remain. Only a few of us are still there. Only those who have true devotion can be seen. And Peter is one of them. He's so hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. He's hurt because he hears how pitiful and shallow his words sound. His response is a beautiful prayer of repentance, though, and spiritual affection. He says, Lord, you know all things. You know all things. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. Look in my heart, Lord. I can't hide anything from you. You know me better than I even know myself. How was I to know that where I thought I was the strongest, I'm the weakest? How was I to know that my imagination was stronger than my courage? How was I to know that faith couldn't be found in hype and passion, and, but is the residue that's left behind when all of that washes away? But I know it now, Peter says. I know it now. All that I can say to you in honest confession is that I'm devoted to you. I'm fond of you. I love you like a brother. You know, Jesus thinks that's just fine. It's an honest answer. 
even though it's not enough for dynamic, type A, take the bull by the horns, big thinking, big talking Peter, it's more than enough for Jesus. Peter, if you're my friend, feed my sheep. He offered it to Peter all three times, but he just couldn't accept it. He couldn't accept it. Peter was trapped into thinking that just showing up wasn't good enough. Peter thought that a true disciple chops off the ears of people and battles to death and sees all through great visions and has spiritual depth in all supernatural matters. He says, Peter, are you fond of me? Lord, you need a general. Peter, will you be a foot soldier? Lord, you need great teachers. Peter, will you just show up for class? Lord, you need exciting, beautiful people with passion and energy. Peter, will you just be there? It's enough, Peter, to come as you are, all that you are and no more. Will you love me with your mind, not just your heart? Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. My church, my people, the legacy I'm leaving behind, the most precious thing I have, Peter, and I want you to take care of it. The man who denied Jesus three times, Jesus looks at him and he says, you are the rock and on the rock I will build my church. One of the biggest failures in our eyes of the disciples, the one who tries to hide when the going gets really rough. And Jesus says, I'm gonna build my church on you. He can use anybody if he could use Peter. Because devotion leads to duty, leads to duty because spiritual grandstanding has no foundation. There's no place for boasting in the name of Jesus Christ if you're making it about you. Jesus loves you when you're on an emotional, spiritual high, but he can use you when you've let all that hot air out. That's when Jesus Christ wants to use you, when you come down off of that and the rubber hits the road, when reality sets in and life is happening. Good intentions and religious boasting led the apostle to write, pride comes before the fall. For all we know, Peter may have coined this phrase. Brotherly love implies that we love out of an intimacy that only a family can share. A maturing faith loves the Lord because we know him, not because of all he can do or did for us or has done for us. When failure has pressed all the fluff from your faith, that's when commission comes. We, we have these two decisions most of the time when things happen to us. And when I'm with people uh, and you're with people and, and maybe you're offended by something that happens or you're a part of a conversation, you're brought into a conversation and you're like, ah, I probably need to say something. And when people say to me, you know, or, or, or say around me and they use God's name in vain, it just makes me cringe when I hear that. And, and part of me just wants to slice their ear off, right? Like Peter, but you can go to jail for that. I wouldn't advise it throat punch, maybe you can get away with that one. But that's the reaction I have sometimes. It's just anger and I want to fight for Jesus. Like he needs me to defend him. The God of the universe, I think has got his own back, right? But that's the reaction I want to have because it's easier than stopping and sharing why I don't want, like, want to hear the name of God taken in vain. It's easier to react in violence or in anger, or it's easier to react with Jesus who? 
or not saying anything at all. Look at all the things you've done or that you're doing for God in your own strength, in your own volition, because you're just that good. I'm just that good. Look what I can do. I got this. Nobody loves Jesus like I do. No one is going to make fun of Jesus while I'm around. I got this. I'll fight, fight them to the death, to death or prison or to the darkest Africa. I'll follow you, Jesus. Then Jesus says, I don't need you in Africa. I need you next door. I don't need you in Africa. I need you at your lunch table tomorrow. I need you in the cubicle next to you where that woman or that man is hurting because their family's falling apart. Then Jesus says, I don't want you to give those who take my name in vain a bloody nose, but I'd like you to tell them why my name means so much to you. Suddenly, we've never known him. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. It's time for each one of us to come down from the stands, stop being his fan, and become his friend. Let's stop being his fan and become his friend. And maybe that's an introduction that you need tonight. You need to become a friend of Jesus. You need to be introduced to him for the first time. And you're sitting in here tonight, have no expectation of anything happening. You just thought, I'll check it out. But God is speaking to your heart. It's thumping a thousand miles an hour because something is going on. The Holy Spirit is working in your heart right now. If you've ever been to Connection, you know how we do salvations. Because of stories just like this. Because of what the scripture says about, I'm not embarrassed to say that I know Jesus Christ. We're not going to deny him here. We don't bow our head and close our eyes and raise our hand and be secretive about it. There's time and a place for that. But that's not the way we do it. We do it simply by asking if there's anybody who wants to be introduced to Christ for the first time and you know you want to make that decision to just lift your hand right where you are. I'm going to ask you to do that. Anybody here tonight, we want to celebrate with you. We like to raise the roof off of this place. If you know that God's speaking to you, right now and you want to receive him for the first time just lift your hand right where you are had salvations earlier today and baptism has been phenomenal day a wonderful day we don't want to miss that tonight all right the next thing we have you may have noticed there is a pool up here we call it our baptistry and it is a great great time of celebration we love baptisms here at connection church and we've had i think 19 or so today already and one of the great things that we always do is we have spontaneous baptisms. There are several of you, I think, who are planning to be baptized tonight, but there are others of you who know that that's the next step that you need to take. You, you have a relationship with Christ, you've met Christ, and, and you're trying to follow him um, in your life, but you've never taken that next step to be baptized. There's nothing magic about this water, I promise you that. But it's a public profession signifying that this is what I've done Going under the water represents that death and washing that death away and coming up with a new life. And we love doing that. So maybe for the first time, and you know that's your next step tonight, you want to do that. We have all the clothes you need, all the towels you need. We got everything you could possibly need to be baptized without using your own stuff. You can change and then change back into what you have on. 
Maybe that's something you need to do tonight. So if you're already planning to be baptized or you want to be baptized tonight, I want you to just stand to your feet right where you are. Anybody? Amen. 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 Anybody else? Here's your opportunity. Here's your opportunity. If you're being baptized, I want you to just turn around and walk out through those doors to my right. Um, I think Cody's back there. Yeah, Cody's got his hands up. I can't see a thing tonight. Man. Y'all go back there and get changed. Now, the last thing we're going to do, we're going to have a couple songs in, in time of worship as we, as we work towards baptism tonight. But what I want to challenge you with while you're um, worshiping and while the band is leading us is to think about that question, am I a fan or am I a friend of Jesus? Or another way to put it is, am I a fan or am I a follower, a true follower of Christ? True followers are not sitting in the stands. True followers are on the field experiencing everything that's going on in the world around you. Not protected by the, the fence and all the different things that are around us in a field, but you are in the midst of it. Now, if that's something you're struggling with, we want to open this floor up here and, and uh, make this an altar. And we have people that would love to pray with you if you want somebody to pray with. Or if you're still debating this whole baptism thing or, or you know that you need to be introduced to Christ for the first time, we'd love to have that opportunity to work with you. So while we stand together, we're going to have a prayer. And while we're singing, if you want to come down and pray, that would be awesome. And when we're finished singing, we're going to have our baptisms and we will be done. So let's stand to our feet and pray. God, you're an awesome God. We thank you so much, God, again, for your, your son, Jesus Christ, for what you did for us on the cross, the sacrifice that you made for us, God. We thank you for showing up and showing off so many times in our lives. And God, I know that there's somebody in here. I know right now, just by the, the eye contact that I was getting, I know someone is here who is just about to go out of their minds right now who needs a touch from you. And God, I pray that that will happen during this time. They will have the courage to step forward because we'd love to pray with them, God, and, and direct us in that way. Direct them, give them that courage to make that decision, Lord. We thank you for what we're about to do with baptisms as those journeys have already begun and as they make this statement here tonight. We thank you, God, and we love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.